Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today. Whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered, These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, you choose to do that by the time you're done, Typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. Well, people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively use these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd be grateful if you did so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Alternatively, you can give us a call. You can call me or uh, send us an email. You can email at tjh at mindshifters.com. 
academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org that's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g if you do that we'll address your comment or question on the show and then as time allows send you a notification about what day and time that happens so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be a service. And if you let us know how we can be a service, it just makes it that much easier for us to do that very thing. So 563-999-3581. Call that number and press 1. And we have... Area code 610, you're in the air. Hello, area Dr. code Tim? 610. Yes? Hi. Tim was going to call in. Tim Bingham was going to call I in. I did. And I... Oh, okay. I'll get off. <laughs> All right. Or you can mute me, Dr. Tim. Did you not intend to press 1 on your phone? No, Tim I did. I did. I didn't. Tim Bingham did. All right. All right. Both hands are up. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Susan. Yes. Um, I wanted to say I did the two worksheets yesterday that you suggested, and one of the on one of the worksheets, the um, enlightened goal for being with my father and with mechanical things was suggesting that I could heal the problem by imagining working happily with my father on mechanical things. And what I'm wondering is how can I do that so that it really sinks in? Well, you know, um, people, the the answer to that question, Tim, is going to be about you as a specific individual. You've already mentioned uh, yesterday, when I when I offered it as a suggestion, that the EFT tapping doesn't work very well for you. Right. But there's a whole group of people who really benefit from doing a visualization, and while they're visualizing it, they do the EFT tapping, and it just it, it's almost like a an adjunct to um, a, um, a self hypnosis session, and. You know, so the the more vividly I can visualize something and mentally rehearse it with relaxed breathing, with or without the tapping, the better I'm likely to get in terms of results, in terms of an internal shift of experience. So the, the essence of it is whatever it takes for me to be willing to feel the emotional energy and feel it fully, that's what's going to help me get that shift I'm looking for. Because literally today, these things aren't happening today, but I'm experiencing an echo of the emotional energy that I downloaded when they originally happened. Right. And when I, and when I become aware of that, and I let myself become aware that I'm no longer 10 years old, I'm a full adult, and I breathe and I soften and I feel, you know, 
I feel my hands, I feel my legs, I feel my arms, I look in the mirror, I realize this is not a 10-year-old. And as I do that, and I breathe and I soften and I let whatever emotions are there move through me, and or if I choose to do a visualization about having a different experience in my body, that's when the shift happens. So how do you do a visualization that becomes powerful enough to heal that event of childhood? I can visualize it, but it doesn't seem to stick. It doesn't seem to um, go deep enough to really heal. Okay, so one of the techniques, theories, there's an actual research term for it called memory reconsolidation. And it's based on neuropsych research and neurology and lived experience in the therapy office. And it says this, if I breathe into the felt sense of what it was like to be 10 years old in this example with your father and see him scowl at me and feel that I'm a bumbler. And I remember and let myself feel those energies of shame and sadness and hopelessness or fear, or whatever the negative emotion was. I let myself remember and feel that energy. And then I take a breath, and I shift the focus to the truth that right now, as I sit here patting my own chest, I'm an adult. And I know that I've had a number of solid successes in my life, and I am a successful member of a family, or I have somebody who loves me and who I love, any of those things, which is a felt truth in my life. And then I switch back to the 10-year-old and I let myself feel that helpless, hopeless, bumbler, shame situation. And I breathe and I shift back to the adult. And I let myself alternate back and forth between these while giving myself a hug or sometimes doing the butterfly pattern of a hug where I crisscross my arms so that each of my hands is is resting on an upper arm, and then I just alternate tapping left and right in a butterfly-type hug, and then I shift from feeling the shame and the guilt and the helpless and hopeless and fearful thing of age 10, and I breathe and tap a few times there, and then I shift to my current age and a loving memory, a true situation where I've been able to exhibit competence, I was able to become a lawyer or I'm a father of, of successful you know, young adults or adults, and I, and I flip back and forth between those two while giving myself that butterfly hug and doing those relaxing breaths, that's one of the more powerful ways to get a lasting shift. So I want to visualize working with him in a loving way where we're working on a mechanical thing together. 
I can picture that scene and I can visualize it and I want to hold on to it. So I still don't understand how I can make that thinking more perm what you're suggesting is feeling the the shame feeling the upset at that feeling the upset because it was real. It felt absolutely true that this is a hopeless, yeah. hopeless situation, that I'll never satisfy my dad, etc. Right? Yeah. This was a real yeah. life, life situation, and it felt absolutely true. Right. But by feeling that so, old so, feeling... Wait, this, is, this, is, this is the first thing. I want to alternate between feeling that hurt and upset and helpless hopelessness, which felt absolutely true, with another part of my mind that knows it's absolutely true that I'm an adult and I've got certain competencies that have served me and my family well, and I know it, I feel it. So when you alternate back and forth between these two things that some each part of you is holding this memory and this internal knowing this is absolutely true. I'm a competent adult right now, and when I was 10, I felt the complete helpless hopelessness of my father calling me a bumbler related to mechanical things. And I alternate back and forth between those two until my mind reconciles the fact that I'm no longer 10 years old. I'm no longer stuck in that emotional truth of just the 10-year-old. So that's the first step. Then, once you do that, and you can look back and you can remember that incident and have it be no different than, you know, one of your non-favorite sports teams' scores from their last game. So there's almost no emotional attachment to those negative emotional feelings, then you can start visualizing working with your father in a project, bringing your adult competence to that situation and doing that butterfly hug thing, and then you'll probably get more of a shift. Does that make sense? Not entirely. Okay, the first thing is to dissipate the negative emotional experience of your yeah. memories okay. 10 years old. That. That's, that's why that's the first step. Okay. I feel that dissipated right now. You feel what? I feel that negative 10-year-old being stuck is dissipated now. So the second step is to visualize working lovingly with my dad but I want to feel like I'm working lovingly with him as a 10 year old can I do that yes you can make this visualization be anything you would like it to be okay and you'll have more success creating that after you've completely dissipated the intense negative emotional emotional energy patterns 
from what happened when you were 10. Oh, okay. So I need to really dissipate that negative energy first before I can visualize the positive energy. Most likely, yes. Okay. That's helpful. Okay, I'll do that. Thanks. You're entirely welcome and deserving. I appreciate your willingness to do this work for yourself because it helps all of us and uh, to share it on the show. So I appreciate that. Anything else we can help you with today? No, I'll work on that. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. I'll mute you so you can listen to the rest of the show. Okay. Blessings. So we have plenty of time for comments or questions, either about the work that Tim Bing did yesterday or the comments I was just making about how to access and dissipate some of those negative emotional energies from our past or anything else we've talked about in the past 12-plus years. 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. How can we support you? I have... um, I just had a session with someone who were trying to help him understand the importance of mental rehearsal. So if you have something that comes up in your life and you used to do it one way that that interact with the people or the circumstances in a certain way that would lead you to a series of negative consequences after the fact, then it's a really good thing, especially if you've learned from that and you've realized, I really don't want those negative consequences. Even though in the moment, the attraction might be there, the urge, the impulse to engage with a person or to use a drug of choice, etc. That sensation, that urge, that craving might be there and yet when one has transla- has um, become aware of this pattern and, and understood clearly that if I engage that pattern, I'm going to have all of these consequences that I do not prefer, then it's a really good thing to do some mental rehearsal about what I'm going to do how I'm going to respond, what behaviors I can do proactively, preemptively, if you will, to make sure or to to strengthen the probability that I will not act in a way that brings me the consequences that I really don't want. So mental rehearsal. And and you could take it to the next level and do actually what Tim Bingham was discussing, do it. Create a vivid visualization that includes 
the emotional sensations. It includes the images, the felt sense in your body, the memories of the sights, the sounds, the smells, the taste, the touch. And when you do that, you you strengthen your own ability to act in a way that you've decided you want to when you're thinking clearly or you're thinking with that conscious, logical mind. You know, the, the, the idea is I can't instantly get everything I want out of life. However, and Michael was talking about this yesterday in his half of the show, that there's this wisdom that comes down through the ages that says, um, ask and you shall receive, which is great, except if you think your conscious logical mind is your ask is your only asker, you're going to miss the boat because your unconscious mind, your heart, your strong emotional energy is far more powerful as an agent, as a as something that resonates with the world around you. And then because of that resonation and that resonating effect, it has... because of what you know Michael would call it um the law of resonance you set up an attraction you set up a similar energy field well if i do that with just my conscious logical level like if tim bingham was saying i can sit here and i can hold an image in my mind of me working with my dad but it doesn't really shift anything but if he can work at the heart level, at the deep emotional level, if he can let himself be flooded with the energy of gratitude or appreciation or deep satisfaction that might happen if he were able to actually have his dad here and work on a project with him and have his dad be proud of him. If if Tim can imagine that energy and breathe into it and let it resonate through his body's energy system, he'll get more out of this. He'll get a lot more out of this. Because it won't stay stuck at that conscious logical level. It'll shift down into the emotional or the heart energy level. So... Um, Abraham Hicks talks about um, you know everything about the law of attraction is based on the teachings of Abraham Hicks and Abraham Hicks um, has come out since that movie The Law of Attraction came out and said you know these teachings kind of got hijacked by the people who did that Law of Attraction movie um, basically to just focus exclusively on acquiring stuff. And the law of attraction from the Abraham Hicks um, school of teaching 
is a lot more about the feeling that you think you're going to achieve when you get the thing that you think you want. And so, the, you know, the, the full, healthy, um, well-rounded teaching is not about how to acquire a Mercedes or to bring the best relationship to your life, etc. It's about realizing that you, if you don't have it already, you can develop the capacity to feel a good feeling in your energy system wherever you are at any moment in any set of circumstances. And as you practice bringing your focus of attention to that kind of an energy flow and let it resonate through your body, through your mind-body energy system, you're doing yourself a benefit in the moment because you change how you feel in that moment for the better and you bring the point of attraction and the law of resonance to bear at a stronger level than just positive mental attitude, than just positive thoughts. And if you're willing to do that, the sky's the limit about how much your life can improve in you know, by leaps and bounds and in a variety of situations. And the thing that I like to point out to people is that, and, and this came to me a number of years ago when I was working with somebody in a session, and she was talking about how this isn't what she wants and this isn't what she wants. And I said, look, as I, I had this flash of a realization as I was working with this person. And it was like one of those full-body you know, shiver down my spine, kind of an image, kind of a set of words, and it came out like this. I remember 25 years ago prior to that that meeting and that session I was having with a person, and I said, I remember vividly what I thought about my life and myself and my my future and what I needed to be happy and what my goals were. I also know that as I sit here today, I have far more deep, contented satisfaction in life. I may not have a lot of the bliss states and bouncing around joy, but I have far more deep contentment and satisfaction than I even knew was possible back then. And the kicker for me is I have almost nothing that I felt I needed back then. I thought I needed this, that, and the other thing on a checklist in order to be happy or to find that bliss state. And the fact of the matter is, was at that time, that I have almost nothing at that conscious, logical, physical realm that I thought I needed and yet I have far more contentment, appreciation for life, sense of satisfaction than I did 25 years earlier. So when I think I want something, this is such a, such a valuable process to, to, to my life experience, and of course now because I've, I've lived it and had the experience, to my way of thinking, 
but it's so valuable for me to say, okay, I want this, this, and this. Why do I want it? Because I want this certain feeling. Okay, let me just do a visualization, do some breathing, do some tapping, do some worksheets, whatever it takes, so I can practice having that feeling even though none of these things in my list of what I need or want or you know, my shopping list for the universe, none of them have happened yet. But I can create that energy flow. I can move into that experience of gratitude, appreciation, vitality. You might even call it a bliss state. Even though I have not yet achieved any of those things on my list that I think I need to have that joy or that bliss state. And then, much to my pleasant surprise, most of the time, I will have a shift, at least in the moment, in my contentedness. And often, when the shift reaches, you know, critical mass or whatever within my energy system, I have it at a more lasting level, even though I haven't accomplished those things that were on my list or these sets of goals or the to-do or whatever. So do yourself a favor and at least try out this set of teachings that has us reaching for, creating with our own mind energy, tapping into memories or using our creative imagination as if we're already in possession of those things that our mind is telling us we need in order to be happy. And let the energy shift be a part of our experience long before the acquisition of the outside material thing place and just watch what unfolds you might very well find that you become that you you sit more in a space of of attraction for that which you eventually come to see is is there for your highest and best, even if you can't figure out how or why, even if it doesn't match what your mind is telling you you think you need, which, again, is a big part of the benefit of this worksheet process because over and over again, I'm canceling my need to be right and I'm canceling whatever it is my conscious logical mind wants to tell me I need to have in order to be happy. So the call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. As I mentioned, we greatly appreciate when people call and ask either to do a worksheet or clarify a question, as Tim Bingham did in the past couple of shows. And... In lieu of that, if no one has anything else, I'm going to return to the reading of The Way of Mastery, Lesson 9, as I mentioned. I was prompted to read that because we were reading from the question and answer section. 
of the book by Christian Sundberg titled Walk in the Physical. And when I hit this one section in that book, Walk in the Physical, it said we are completely responsible for. We are in complete creatorship role for our thoughts and our emotions and our interpretations of life. And when I read that, I thought instantly of the way of mastery lesson 8 and lesson 9. Lesson 8 is titled Dropping Pebbles into the Still Clear Pool of Your Mind. And lesson 9 is titled All Events Are Neutral. And where I left off reading from Way of Mastery Lesson 9 was that all events are neutral and yet our choice of how to interpret and respond to them is not neutral. All events and all people in your life only have the value for you that you create and place upon them. And then the the question is asked in in lesson nine itself. I'm backing up just a paragraph or two from where I stopped yesterday. The text asks, now does that mean that one should become cold-hearted, unconscious, and blind to their actions? Of course not. For part of awakening means to realize one's interconnection with the web of all relationships. It means awakening a reverence for the mystery that is life. But it also means to release judgment of another who would view the tree differently. For you see, the body that you've crystallized out of the field of infinite energy has but one purpose. The body that you've crystallized out of this web of infinite connected energy is a communication device. That is its purpose. Therefore, let your primary perception, your primary guiding light in your third dimensional experience, let it be this. Ask yourself the question, what do I choose to communicate to the world with every gesture, with every breath, with every word spoken, and with every decision made. Why do that? Because ceaselessly, while the body lasts, you are engaged in the process of communicating to the world, making manifest to the world what you have chosen to value what you have called into your experience, and what you have imbued with value. This means that ceaselessly you are engaged in teaching the world what you believe holds the greatest truth and the greatest value. When an environmentalist looks upon a logger and becomes exasperated and judges that logger, or vice versa, then their body is being used to communicate the value of judgment. That creates fear and contradiction. 
this makes me think as a sidebar of a talk with Guy Finley where he talks about you don't realize that whenever you choose an emotion, whenever you create an emotion inside of you, that's what you value. So when you're angry, you value anger. When you're fearful, you value the fear. When you're in judgment of somebody, you're valuing the judgment. It's exactly the same message to, to my eye and ear as what Way of Mastery Lesson 9 is talking about. Way of Mastery Lesson 9 goes on and says, The result of many, many minds choosing to value the, the right to judge is the effect that you call in your world. It's the effect that you call your world. So that because we have so many people here who are fighting for their right to judge and to be right, it creates our experience of life. In this world in which everything seems to be expressing conflict, struggle, and the butting of heads, and the Armageddon of opposite ideas running into each other, and just beneath it all, all events remain completely neutral. Even if the forests of your planet were completely taken away, that would be a neutral event. Why? How could that be? Because if all the trees were gone, if the very physical planet you call Earth died, it dissolved from view, life would continue. Life would merely create new worlds. It does it all the time. You do it all the time. The events then that you experience are always neutral. What you see occurring in the world around you remains neutral until you make the decision of what it will be for you. You name it and therefore you define it. When you define it, you call the, all of the associations of that from your history and your training and your life experience, you call that all of that into your awareness. That's just how the system works, whether we like it or not. The text goes on and says, this is why I once taught that it is very wise to forgive 77 times 7 times for a very, very selfish reason. If someone wrongs you and you spend your energy convincing them that they have wronged you and that you have a right to be angry and to be attacking in any way, then you call to yourself, even into the cells of your body, the energy of conflict, the energy of judgment, the energy of war, the energy of disease, the energy of death, the energy of unhappiness, and the energy of separation, and you call it to yourself instantly when you judge. If you forgive 70 times 7, then in each of those moments of forgiveness, you call into your field of energy that which reminds you of unconditional love, perfect peace, a power that transcends anything that arises in the world. You call to yourself the reality of Christ. And Christ, again, is not a person. It's this office of mind. It's this one-mindedness. It's this oh, conscious connection to the one mind. 
you call yourself, you call to yourself the reality of Christ. And all of it hinges on nothing more than the thoughts or the pebbles that you drop into your mind. The next section is titled, Look with Innocence on What You Value. So where then have you drawn the line? Where have you said, I will allow neutrality to all events in this sphere, but not that sphere? If my friends divorce or separate, well, okay, I'll see that as neutral. But if my spouse leaves me, that is not neutral. If my friend's father leaves $3 million to his children, well, that's fine. That's a neutral event. But if my father leaves his $3 million to charity and leaves me out of the picture, that is not a neutral event. If the streams in a country on the other side of the world from where I am become polluted because the consciousness of a community allowed a factory to to be built without safeguards, well, that's on the other side of the world. That's a neutral event. But if they build it in my backyard, it's no longer neutral. It is always wise to look lovingly to see where you have drawn the line, to see what you will look upon as neutral and what you will cling to as being filled with meaning, giving it value that is unquestionable in your mind. For there you will find what requires forgiveness within you. Again, in this book, the definition of forgiveness from the third lesson means to choose to release another from the perceptions you have been projecting upon them. It is therefore an act of dismantling one's own projections. And as you dismantle your projections, even 70 times, seven times, each time you dismantle your projections, you you take yourself deeper into the purity of your own consciousness. So it is always wise to look lovingly on where you've drawn the line. For there you will you will see and you'll find what requires dismantling within you. We have shared with you that mastery is a state of fearlessness. When you place a value upon something and then become adamant that that value exists in the event or the object outside of you, you have just secured your place in fear. And when that happens, fearlessness is as far from you as the East is from the West. Look well, then, to see where you have placed a value of any kind and where you have insisted that that value be unshakable. How many times in each of your days do you say, quote, oh boy, if my dog ever died, I would not be able to handle it. That would just be the end of me, close quotes. Or, quote, if the banks collapse, oh God, I wouldn't be able to take that, close quotes. Be careful what you decree. This is exactly the message Dr. Rice had in the second half of his show yesterday. You know, he talks about how you know, cherry-picking this and that lesson out of uh, the, the Greeks, guard the portals of the mind, etc. And from uh, Yeshua, you know, the idea that 
the power of life and death is in your words. So think about, and Michael was calling us to think about how many lyrics in our songs are poisonous and how many sayings have worked their way into the colloquialisms of our lives that are just so negative. Hear this. Way of Mastery Lesson 9 says the very same thing. Be careful what you decree. Look to see where you are emotionally enmeshed with the value you have placed upon anything or anyone. Any relationship whatsoever, whether it be the relationship with your spouse, the relationship with your body, the relationship with your cat or your dog, the relationship with your bank account, the relationship with your government, look at all of your relationships. For you have made them what they are. Where can freedom be experienced except within a consciousness that has learned how to transcend the contraction of fear? And fear is the result of your attachment to the values you have placed upon the events you experience. So this is such a critical paragraph. I'm going to read it again. Look upon all of your relationships with every animal in your life, every person in your life, every institution in your life. For you have made them what they are to you. You have assigned them the meaning and then decided to place your intention and your focus and your value upon those meanings, those labels. And then it asks the question, where can a person experience freedom? Only in a consciousness that has learned to transcend the contraction of fear. And fear is the result Your fear, my fear, any fear is the result of a person's attachment to the values they have placed upon the events they experience. When we talk about events, we mean events, persons, places, and things. All of these are actually just events. Every web of relationship comes to you perfectly neutral. You decree it by naming it and defining it. When one comes to you in anger and you react, recognize that you first decided that they are angry and you brought forth with it all of the associations you have ever decided to value concerning what anger means. So when someone comes to you and you judge them as being angry, you flood your experience, your mind in that moment with all of the associations of your life, all the way back to, in the example that Tim Bingham gave us yesterday, all the way back to being 10 years old, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, it doesn't matter. I get flooded with those associations. This is why there's such power in Dr. Michael Rice's exercise, Three Early Memories of Conflict. I actively go and explore what did I download in those earlier years when there was conflict around? What is it I've learned to value, whether I realized it or not? What is it that gets resonated into activity every time I place a judgment of anger or conflict or fear or uh, scarceness or danger? In that very moment, 
to go on with the text. In that very moment, you hold the power to witness this field of energy that is circulating through your body and mind, and it's circulating through the speech of the other, and to see it simply as a dance of energy. See it as a mystery arising from some unseen source and web of relationships. You could look upon it with curiosity and with wonder if you defined it differently. So I was driving to work this morning trying to pay attention to the traffic and trying to pay attention to some people that were in a hurry and racing between cars. And it came to me that I have a choice in every moment with everyone I interact with to view them as love and loving or to view them as expressing woundedness. There is either extending that energy of creation and love and connection and compassion and gratitude, or there is expressing a wound, just like a baby crying. If a baby is crying and I'm not deeply wounded as an adult, the baby crying indicates to me the baby's experiencing a problem. It's in pain. It needs something to to get healthy, to be safe, etc. I could choose to use that same filter for everyone I deal with all day, every day, regardless of their age or situation. And that's what this paragraph is bringing to mind for me. In that very moment, you hold the power to witness the field of energy. What is the field of energy? It's you. You're a field of energy within a field of energy within a field of energy. The chair you're sitting on is a field of energy. The person you're interacting with is a field of energy. You have the power to witness this field of energy circulating through the body and the mind and the speech of another and to see it as a dance of energy. To see it interacting with your field of energy, dancing through you and your body and your mind. You have the choice to view it as a mystery from some unseen source and a web of relationships. You could look upon it with wonder and curiosity if you defined it differently. This is true of all things. Even the great diseases that seem to threaten the life of the body can be looked at with complete neutrality. And if you would define them in a specific way, you will call to yourself the fear of that event which comes with all the associations that you've learned from the world and from your own experience. The message of this lesson is quite simple, and yet it is very important. It builds on all that we have shared with you previously. You are a creator always. You cannot help but create. The question then remains, what will you create in each moment? What will you create in each moment? You're creating whether you realize it or not, and you may not be able to create instantly what your conscious logical mind wants to tell you you need, and yet you are creating your experience in each and every moment. So the text goes on and says, far beyond the great thrill of the magic of creating events or objects in the third dimensional reality, far beyond that are the qualities that you create such as 
peace, unlimitedness, expansion, creativity, forgiveness, compassion, and wisdom. These two are creations. This is what we were trying to get Tim Bingham to think about earlier in this very call. Create the physical, energetic, emotional sensation of joy, contentment, satisfaction, appreciation, gratitude. When he visualizes the thought of him participating with his father in a project and having it go very, very well. Far beyond the thrill of creating, uh, attracting to yourself a new car or a new job or a new relationship, far beyond is all of that is the qualities you create, such as peace, infinite expansion, compassion and wisdom. These two are creations. And you have the ability in each moment to create them and sit in them and to exercise your ability to create and strengthen it so that you become better and better and better at it. The text goes on and says, Compassion does not exist floating about in the universe until you manifest it and cultivate it within your own consciousness. Christ's consciousness can not be said to truly exist for you until you create it within yourself. Your union with the Creator does not even exist for you in terms of your personal experience until you decide to open to the lived experience of it. This is much the same as any food you've ever tasted. Might as well not exist for you until you travel to that journey or uh, travel to that country, purchase it, and place it in the body. Or in your day and age, you might go to a grocery store and find the gourmet section, of the international gourmet section. So the point is, nothing can be said to exist for you until you've tasted the lived experience of it. So when you hear talk about enlightenment, when you hear talk about union with God or the Creator, when you hear talk about unconditional love, it would be good for you to stop nodding your head thinking you know what these things are and turn your attention within. Ask yourself, do I abide in a lived experience of these things? instantly you will know the answer. If your answer is no, no, not really. I hear talk about enlightenment. I get little glimpses, but I don't really have any idea what it is because I'm not feeling it completely in my lived experience. If that's the case, right away you will know that there must be something that you have valued other than enlightenment. And you are placing that value on that and you're insisting that it remains in place in your consciousness, what could it be? Search it out. Find it. And ask yourself simply, with childlike innocence, do I wish to continue valuing this over peace, tranquility, bliss, 
sense of oneness with my creator we'll pick this up again tomorrow unless we have somebody who wants to do a worksheet or ask a question or a comment but that's the end of the reading for today from lesson 9 in the way of mastery I am grateful as always to everyone who's tuning in thank you Tim and Tim Bingham and Susan for your participation earlier in the call and please feel free to keep us posted if you're continuing to work on that shift energetically today's a Tuesday I'm trying to remind myself what day it is and think about planning for the future so we will be back tomorrow Wednesday which is the uh, 7th I believe of September and um, I'll remind us all that we come from love we're made of the stuff we call love we actually are love and everything else is false and I'll welcome Jeannie Rice whenever she's able to turn on her microphone and join us for the second hour. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tam. You're entirely welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio, and today is Tuesday, September the 5th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. Three five eight one. Press one. That puts you into queue to talk to us. We'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And give Michael a moment to dial in. And uh, welcome to those in the chat room and on the switchboard. And I was, apologies, trying to get everything turned on here. I was downstairs. Okay. <clears throat> So we, uh, I'll be putting some more pictures up. Yesterday we had Aria all day. She was out of school for Labor Day. And one of the things we did was before she went home yesterday evening, uh, we went up to the flower garden and I let her pick out which ones and, and I clipped off stems of different flowers and we made a bouquet for her mom and dad. So that was a lot of fun. And we built another bird feeder and we did all kinds of things yesterday. So it was a full day. And I pick her up this afternoon after school, so here we go again. So she definitely keeps us rocking, and uh, she is a joy. So anyway, um, if you see anything on the website that's not working, I actually uh, got a notice that some of the links were broken, and so I went out and fixed those this morning and redirected some pages that were still going to an old page. And so hopefully I got them all fixed, but if you... You know, we're scanning around the website and you come across something that's not working, please drop me a line at Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org, and let me know and I will get it corrected. And I appreciate your help in that. There's a lot of pages and we've made a lot of changes and can't quite keep up with all of them. I, I attempt to, but I don't. So anyway, uh, and Michael and I will be going on vacation. We're leaving Saturday. 
and we're headed to the beach. I am really looking forward to that time just to chill out. So we will be playing shows all next week. So if you have any questions, please click on one and ask them this week because we will not be on live broadcast next week. And uh, Dr. Tim, if you're still listening, I will send you a list of what shows to play and we hope that you enjoy those. We always uh, attempt to pick out the some of the best of the shows. I will tell you ahead of time we're going to be doing um, the communication, which is actually a live workshop. We'll be putting the audios of those uh, communication. Did you hear what I think I said? Part one and part two. And then we'll be uh, two of the shows are similarities to AA and the 12-step programs. I've had several people that I've worked with this week and or this past week. And they're involved in the AA groups, and we're asking questions about that. So we'll be playing two shows of that, and then the Kabor show. And so please tune in and listen to those. They are some of the best videos. Of course, we feel that way about all of them, but anyway. Um, if you're listening on another station where I can't see you on the switchboard, Call in to 563-999-3581. And you can listen to the show that way, or you can press 1. It puts up a hand, and I know that you want to talk to us, and we would love to hear from you. So, let's see if Michael is on yet. Not quite. Okay. We'll give him just another moment. And... uh, if you have a, a I went out and looked on the email this morning and I didn't have any questions from the app. If you're using the app and something comes up, then let's see, somebody just texted me. Let me make sure it's not somebody on the show. No, it's not. Sometimes if a hand is already up, I don't know if it's left over from Dr. Tim or a new hand. So anytime that happens, you can drop me a line and just say my hand's up again <laughs> and I will uh, turn your microphone back on. But anyway, if you've been using the app, you'll notice that on every page there is a button that you can click and um, ask a question, whether it's about the step that you're on in the app or whether it's about something else. And I'll get an email with that question. We'll address it on the next radio show, and I'll drop you a line and let you know um, what what day and time that we addressed your question. If you've not been using the app, you can. if you go to the website whyagain.org and click on Start Here, the first things that come up on that page is a link to the current seven-step worksheet and the short worksheet. And then there are two videos. One of them kind of uh, gives instructions or guidance on how to navigate the website and where you'll find all the different things on the website. And the second one is how you can navigate the app itself. And so those are out there just to help you. If you're not familiar with the process, it will help you to get through it easier. And then, of course, you scroll down and there's all the different worksheets. And I see Michael has joined us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Hello, Michael. He's showing up on the switchboard, but I do not hear his voice. You're not in. I can hear you talking through the wall, but not on the phone. <laughs> can hear you through the wall, but not through the window? Yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> you know, it's amazing well, how it helps if I uh, take off my, my mute button. That's a miracle. It's amazing. So welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. Delighted to take this conversation to the next level. You know, after our uh, our show yesterday and the conversation that we had, I had the uh, the inclination to pick up a video by a NASA scientist, quantum physicist. And if you want to look up that video and give it a listen, it's really very interesting. But he he leaves everything with a big question. And uh, the the title, if you look for it on um, YouTube, is NASA, N-A-S-A, Quantum Physicist, Proves We Live in a Conscious Simulation. NASA, Quantum Physicist, Proves We Live in a Conscious Simulation. And in essence, and, and if you look at... You know, the conversation we had yesterday, the foundation for where I want to go with this, we were looking at how we have the ability to change really what I'm realizing after listening to this uh, this quantum physicist, uh, scientist talk, although he doesn't use these words, I'm realizing that the substrate of the universe is thought. I'm just capturing that on a whole new level. And he goes through, basically he talks about, you know, the days of Heisenberg and Einstein and and how they did the bomb and quantum physics. And what they realized is, and and basically what they said is, well, we've just blown apart the world of matter. The world of matter doesn't exist. It's a total error. Matter is a major error, period. And then he goes on, talks about it for a while. Then he comes back to it. He's like, yeah, and then they changed their mind because they didn't have anything to replace it with. <laughs> so they stopped saying that, and they said, well, it's just spooky physics. We we don't know. It's like, but, but it's not material. And if only they had the first century Aramaic Yeshua, they'd have the key to the whole game. I mean, you know. I mean, a short time after the 1945 atom bomb game, if they'd had Yeshua, the physicist would have understood the world, and we would not be anywhere near where we're at today. So when you get to the observer effect, and, and I don't think physicists yet understand the observer effect. I had the uh, the privilege, oh, about three decades ago, I used to speak at a, uh, a conference called Global Sciences, and I've shared this many times, but a gentleman, Marcel Vogel, showed up with his Delaware camera, and basically what Marcel showed us was pictures of the high-energy waves that leave the mind when we think of thought. Now, if science understood that piece of information, if they could put that one together with what else they know, then they'd realize the reason why something is only a potential, it's a wave, 
it collapses, they say, when it's measured, but actually what happens is it collapses when it interacts with the mind energy. When we add the mind energy to this quantum potential, you know, think about it. There are a trillion possibilities, and what it takes is an intersect with the mind energy of a creator then of those trillion possibilities, the energy, you know, listen to the opening words in the book of John and you got the whole key. In the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. It doesn't say in the beginning was the word and it doesn't have anything to do with the man named Yeshua. You know, the churchianity has made that word mean Jesus or Yeshua. And it doesn't. What it says is in the beginning was, there are actually two proper translations from the Aramaic. It says in the beginning was the willed action or in the beginning was the mind energy. So a trillion possibilities, a trillion potentials, and that's why they say until somebody measures it, until somebody interacts with it and adds the energy to it, it doesn't collapse and become what we call a particle. It's only potential. And underlying it all, Everything that comes into our what we call manifest world, and it's interesting in the Aramaic language, the word manifest simply means obvious. Whatever is obvious to you. If it's obvious to you that you always get picked on when you enter this circumstance, guess what happens? Out of the trillion possible ways you could be treated, you'll get picked on. Because that's the creative process. That's the energy you will add to the quantum potential. So the substrate of the universe. Yes, we have these energetic patterns, and then we have the ability through resonance to sending out these high energy waves to cause this one potential to become expressed in what we call the physical world. And of course, the physical world is nothing but a picture our minds show us. You know, think about the example we've used before of a person from the jungles that we bring to the tarmac to stand in front of the airplane with its four propellers spinning. Now, we know that the airplane propellers are uh, four arms spinning around a pivot point. We all know that. But the man from the jungles doesn't know that. <clears throat> and if the airplane has its engine started and we bring him and stand him in front of the airplane, he looks at it and he goes, oh, four shiny silver discs. He, his mind, literally because it can't keep up with the rate of spin of those propellers, shows him something that absolutely is not there. Nothing you can see with your eyes is there. Nothing. Is there something there? Yes. Oh, believe me. If he decided he wanted to see what the friction felt like on his fingertips and he reached out, he wouldn't feel what the friction was on his fingertips because it's not a shiny silver disc. It would chop his fingers off. Yes, there's something there. Is there a dresser in front of you? Yes, there is a dresser there. If you bump into it, ouch. Your brain generates is just an approximation. It's just its best guess about what the actuality is. And the picture of it being solid is nothing but a construct of the mind. There is no solid. You know, let's, let's bring Einstein back in here again. If you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. What's the optical delusion? Perception. An image generated by the brain. 
You've never seen anything with your eyes. You will never see anything with your eyes. The eye is a receiving antenna that's attuned to a certain frequency called light. Information is carried on that light energy. No different than your TV set, except the frequency range. If you've got a UHF receiver, there's a frequency we call ultra-high frequency. Superimposed on that ultra-high frequency carrier wave is information. Your radio or your TV, whatever the device is, decodes and feeds you that information. So light is a carrier wave for information. It hits the eye. Can you look out through the eye? Not in a billion years you can't. Now, that's what we all believe. That's what we've all been taught because that's what perception tells us, and perception is a liar. presents nothing as it actually is. So whatever construct your mind is making up out of the information it's taken in, when stimulated into activity by an event in the world is simply resonating what's in you relating to that event. And the reason why forgiveness is such a profoundly, profoundly powerful gift is because no matter what your drama, your trauma, your fear, your terror, whatever it happens to be, it's nothing but a frequency read by the mind. It's nothing but information, and the mind has this amazing ability. It's a converter device. It converts mind energy, thoughts, into pictures. So information comes into your eye via light. The light is the carry wave. The information is the, the varying frequencies carried by the light. And according to what that resonates in you, your brain generates a construct. It's best guess about what's actually out there. That's why we have... we create this distinction of reality versus actuality. Reality is nothing but the output of your mind. Actuality is what's there. So as this gentleman was talking, it's like the substrate of the universe, the underlying architecture of what we call the world is your mind. Your mind is the underlying architecture of your world. My mind is the underlying architecture of my world. If the architecture of my world is different from yours, we'll be, both be at the same event, and I'll have one experience, and you'll have a totally different one. And we may decide to argue it over, because mine must be right and yours must be wrong. <laughs> Not so. The underlying architecture of each person's world is the mind energy that they hold. Now, there are certain qualities of experience that are just total, complete trash. And the trash comes from the architecture of our own minds, the mind energy we hold, literally right down to the diseases in your so-called body. Remember, mind energy 2,000 years ago in Aramaic, Yeshua gave us a crisp, clear picture. Mind energy becomes flesh. The architecture that your flesh hangs on are the thoughts in your mind. 
and there are relative to your energy system, whatever aspect of your energy system you're looking at, your physiology, your emotions, your finances, your relationships, your health or your diseases, that directing energy that the whole thing hangs on is your mind energy. And then when they say to Yeshua, well, you know, what's most important in all of this law you're telling us? Well, wait a minute. Law doesn't mean the rule of a superior and you better obey or you're going to hell. Law in Aramaic is just the way it works. So he says, here's how it works. Mind energy becomes flesh. And they say, well, what's most important in all of this? Is there it is. You must have. No, we don't even have a word for this in English. There is no word in Greek. There is no word in Latin. And that's where we get our Aramaic ideas. Yes, you would sit in most churches today and say, that's all Greek to me. When they ask him what's most important, he says, here it is. If you want to keep your architecture clean, your mind energy clean, you must have rachma. He didn't say love your neighbor, love God as yourself. He said have rachma when you think of the creator, rachma when you think of neighbor, and by so doing you maintain your human life. And Rachma is the filter that keeps the mind energy of love as the active governing substrate of your perception and of your physiology. And he goes on to say, upon this, upon Rachma, not upon loving your neighbor, not upon loving God as yourself, but upon Rachma hangs the law, the way it works, and all its prophets. If you want to understand what the law and the prophets say, you've got to look at them through a filter. The right filter will give you correct information. If your filter is hostility or fear, you'll look at the law and the prophets and you'll say, there are a bunch of bastards in there out to get me and they're trying to send me to hell and look what they've done and oh, I'm going to become an atheist. <laughs> Again, Yeshua would say it's all Greek to me because it is. It's just, it's like so primitive. So in essence, there is a filter in the frontal lobes of your brain. If you keep that filter active as opposed to hostility or fear, then the output, the, the energies that will be available to construct your perceptual world and collapse into what becomes your physiology has to be based in love. If it's based in hostility, then it's going to be based in negativity. If it's based in fear, then it's going to be based in some sort of punishment. Negativity. So maintaining rock means that the substrate of your perception, the substrate of your world, the energy upon which it all hangs is now available to you because the gateway for it entering your human form is available. If that gateway is closed, you are going to make up. I mean, there are so many intellectual worlds that people can enter that are so bizarre and so crazy. I mean, go listen to QAnon, and there you've got people whose substrate is based in hostility and fear. Mindset, 
will leave you stuck in a particular quality of world. The energetic patterns that come from hostility or fear are based in energies that, in Aramaic, the word they would use to describe them would be energies that are off the mark, that are not accurate for the actuality of what's here. And so through hostility and fear, we get a distortion. Remember, Paul talked about the distortion. He said, we see as though through a glass darkly. We're looking through a perceptual filter at a world constructed out of hostility or a world constructed out of fear or both. Actually, they, they can't actually both be active at the same time, but they can change places in about a 25th of a second. And as you start to look at the fact that you have a genetic predisposition toward one of those three filters, depending on your genetic history and your upbringing, if it's hostility, if it's fear, then love seems to be void in the world. But love is not void in the world Hostility or fear voids the presence of love in you. If it's Rachma, then it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. The substrate of your physiology, of your mind, of your perception is love. It's in alignment with the facts of what's behind the universe. And now we're talking about physics. And as I say, this gentleman who's a NASA scientist, quantum physicist, saying, you know, it's 100 years later, literally, this is what he says, 100 years later, and we still don't have an answer to the question that was raised by, well, if it's quantum world, if it's quantum physics, and we can create an atomic bomb, and therefore there's nothing physical, what is it? He's like, just so straight up out there. There's no answer. They, the scientific world has not come up with the answer yet. And then, I mean, not having an answer to even start the question, where do you find the tools to straighten out a life? Well, if you go to the Aramaic, it's all there. And the tools start with the breath and end with the ability to remove mind energy that's based in hostility and fear. And the technology for removing mind energy that's based in hostility or fear in the first century Aramaic language was called forgiveness. And the Greeks took it over and bastardized it and turned it totally and completely backward. And now, if the substrate of my physiology and my perception is hostility or fear, of course, it's all your fault, so now the Greeks will tell me that I should forgive you. Please, never forgive anybody for anything. And people say, oh, oh yeah, that's right, I have to forgive myself. No, please, never forgive yourself for anything. Because you can't. I mean, I, I kind of 
in order to honor the language, I, I kind of have to say, like, you could forgive yourself or another, but you can't. It's not possible. This whole thing of letting other people off the hook for the fact that the substrate of your perceptual construct and in your physiology is a mind energy of hostility or fear, letting somebody else off the hook for that isn't going to change anything within you. So understand what that letting people off the hook is. It's pardoning, good thing, nice thing. Somebody does something crazy, let them off the hook. How cool is that? How nice are you? And now, if you haven't called that letting them off the hook forgiveness, you may have an opening to recognize, hmm, I've been through this experience 87 different times with 42 different people. Why are they doing this to me again? And I now can start to understand that it's happening to me again because I'm a creator with the mind energy that sets it up to happen over and over and over again. And now wisdom starts to enter. And I recognize that every time I'm holding my breath and there's something painful and there's something based in hostility or fear going on in me that collapse. I need to remove from that experience the energy that drives it so that that whole falsity collapses. Forgiveness collapses perception. Forgiveness nullifies the substrate of your physiology in that given moment. And it gives you an opportunity to drop into what's hiding beneath false perception. And as you collapse, and, and so, you know, recognize, and, and I, I'm probably speaking to the choir here, but recognize that you and I aren't finished yet. You know, I put us all in the same category. Have you successfully taken one traumatic experience that you swore was outside of you and you maybe heard that it happened generation after generation in your bloodline? And have you been, are you finished with that? Is it gone from your life? Forgiveness works. It doesn't mean the first time you apply forgiveness you're done with it, or the second, or the tenth, or the hundredth, or the thousandth. It might not be till the thousand and one forgiveness process that you do that this one you're searching for collapses and you'll be freed of it. But just keep doing your work and as you'll notice, those things will gradually disappear. Remember, we're talking about energy. And so my, my experience of what happens with the first century Aramaic forgiveness process is that each time you forgive, you weaken the energetic architecture that underlies your perception and underlies the organized state and expression of your physiology. You weaken it. But if it's been going on for a thousand generations, you might have to weaken it a thousand and one times. Totally. So have faith in your work. Have you had one arena in which it worked for you? Great. Have you had one arena where you recognize that, oh, yesterday I'd have been in such terrible pain and trauma over that, and, you know, I've been doing my work. I just did another worksheet on you saying, oh, man, I got it. Wow, I'm so free of that. So now you're free. You recognize if you 
can recognize that you are free of one thing, recognize that you can become free of everything that's based in sin. Remember the Aramaic word sin is an archery term. Simply means off the mark. This isn't theology. This isn't, you know, mumbo jumbo. This is science. This is physics. This is physiology. If you listen to the man Yeshua in his native tongue, what you hear is you hear a physicist speaking. You hear a psychologist speaking. You hear a geneticist speaking. You hear a physiologist speaking. And if when that atom bomb had been discovered and the understanding of quantum physics had opened, instead of still flopping around with no explanation, they're going for going, oh, we don't know, but we'll keep going. Mind energy is a substrate. Mind energy is behind everything you experience. And if the field of the mind energy is strong in you, remember Yoda, the force is strong in you. If the force for active present love is strong in you, it will transmute everything. If it is weak in you, then you have work to do, and your work is dual. One part of your work is to weaken the frequencies based in hostility and fear. You do that through forgiveness. The other part of the work is you strengthen the energetic experience of the presence of active love in you so that on an instant notice, instance, pardon me, notice, no matter what's going on in your world, you can bring forward not the world's mamby-pamby definition of love, something with sexual athletics or self-sacrifice, but you can bring forward the truth of your human beingness, which is love. You can bring it forward into your mind, into your heart, into your physiology, and you can originate new mind energy. It takes a new mind. In the ancient teachings, they called the new mind we were aiming for the mind of Christ. Nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with Yeshua. That Yeshua used a certain mind and that same exact mind. All he was trying to do was say, here's how you get to it, folks. Here, Paul talked about that one, too. He says, the mind of Christ in you. That that is the mind that is based in love and therefore creates a substrate of mind energy that literally is the architecture for a human life, for actually living as a human being. And most people go, oh, I'd rather puke on somebody. Oh, I'm pissed. I'd rather just, you know, destroy somebody else. Well, you know, to each their own. But you'll notice if you've been through it 87 different nights with 42 different people, you're the one that was there every time. It's your mind energy that is literally underlying everything that happens in and appears to happen to your physiology. Nothing happens to your physiology. Everything happens in your physiology according to the mind energy that you hold And everything that would show you something based in pain, something based in hostility, something based in fear, something based in rage, is your opportunity to heal that. 
know, Jeannie and I got COVID back, I don't even know how long ago it is now, over a year ago. And I had worked with several people who had COVID before. We were fairly careful in, in, the, in the culture and how we, you know, got around in the culture. Jeannie's dad was here. He was almost 90. And so we were pretty careful. But I'd worked with several people, and what I noticed was that when people got COVID, they went into some of their darkest mind energy, their darkest thoughts. And it was hard for them to shake loose of those things. They were intensified. And here's my take. Nobody has ever died of COVID or anything else. Nobody has ever died of COVID. However, COVID, so-called virus, they talk about killing a virus. You can't kill a virus. Nothing alive about a virus. A virus is just a piece of genetic information, just a piece of code. And if and, and there, there are, you know, trillions of them. It's been a, like if you do some research, viruses have been a very important part of our, quote, growth or evolutionary process. They're just little packets of mind energy. And if some come along that are based, are, are, are locked into the basest, most deeply destructive mind energy in someone, then if someone takes that energetic pattern in, it activates the deepest, darkest energetic patterns within them. And it's those activated deepest, darkest energetic patterns that are in the process of killing somebody. Like, you know, you got somebody that's 30 and they're going to, you know, live to 70. You know, it takes that long to kill them with all the darkness they carry, the hostility, the fear, the rage, the guilt, the grief, the drama, the trauma. Might take them 40 years to do it. Uh, a packet of mind energy comes along that intensifies it all, and boy, in six months they're dead. Were they killed by COVID? No, they were killed by their own darkness. And both Jeannie and I realized this when we got COVID. Two, you know, for both of us, there were like very specific traumatic things that we were both holding. That since we had the tools and we were willing to go to work with it. COVID was a gift. It was healing. I had had a wheeze in my lungs. I should have been dead. You know, the quote-unquote number of years I've been circling the earth and the history of, you know, they called my father the morning or the night that I was born and told him, you better get down here if you want to see this kid alive because he's not going to live through the night from lung problems. Oh, lung problems. Boy, there's where COVID goes. They're dead. Should have been dead. Guess what? The wheeze that's been in my lungs for decades upon decades upon decades upon decades. We see that the third or fourth day of COVID was gone. For the first time in my life. COVID was an upgrade in my lung health. No, 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 Michael, that's not what happens. Well, it's not what happens if you don't know how to process what's coming up for you. Jeannie had been using an electrical stimulator for, I don't know how long, a couple of years on her neck because of neck pain. I believe it was the third day. I don't remember which it was either. Hers was the third day and mine was the fourth or mine was the third and hers was the fourth. But on the third or fourth day, her neck pain was gone. I mean, debilitating neck pain was gone, just done. 
Each one of us has a unique pattern of mind energy that is a combination of who we are as human beings, as created essence, and how we are able to bring that essence, which is love, forward into physiology and to generate mind energy based in love. And that combination includes generations upon generations upon generations upon generations upon generations of mind energy. If you just go back 30 generations, if you do the math, there are about 1.6 billion people in your bloodline. So when you realize that, and, and then you realize that one of the principles of physics, one of the principles of energy is inertia. Inertia says that a body, remember from physics class in high school, a body moving a particular direction at a particular rate of speed will tend to continue to move at that direction at that rate of speed until it's acted upon by an outside force. Inertia. Notice your ego, mine, all of us, uh, we, we're moving in a particular direction. We have a way, you know, people will look and go, oh, yeah, that person's got a negative interpretation of everything that happens in their lives. Oh, yeah, that person's positive. They're always, you know, they always make lemons whenever they get, or they make lemonade when they get served lemons. How do you change that? It's called forgiveness. It's called entering into the practice of bringing your human beingness, your, your human presence of love forward into your physiology, in through your breath, so that it replaces whatever the genetic architecture of mind energy is, whatever the generations have been doing, now you are freed from the desert. Remember that story of the Jews wandering in the desert? It had nothing to do with a hot, sandy place. You know, these people knew about, <laughs> they knew all about the skies. They knew where the sun came up and the stars and the moon, and they understood very well and I promise you, they were not lost in a 35-square-mile area for 40 years. The desert is nothing but a code word for the unconscious. Most people spend about the 40, first 40 years of their lives in the desert, unconscious, not knowing that the architecture of their own physiology and their own lives, their own perceptual constructs, is based in the mind energy that they've been handed for generation upon generation upon generation. And the ability to either choose new mind energy, a spiritual choice, a spiritual ability to bring something different in, or they were stuck and locked in decisions. Whatever was structured into the structure took over and ran the system, and you know the historical diseases took them out, and the game just went on. Their relationships went like the historical relationships went, and that was just a game. You get to live in one of two places, the desert, unconscious, don't know which end is up, but here it's happening to me again, or you get to move into the promised land. <laughs> and it's not about some mystical, you know, uh, beautiful, wonderful place on earth. That's not the promised land. The promised land is conscious co-creation, that you recognize that the underlying architecture of your life comes from your mind energy. And if your mind energy is of a disintegrative nature, again, archery term sin, off the mark, that things deteriorate in your life. And they call it aging and dying. But it's not required. What if we gave up dying? What would you have to do to give up dying? You'd have to face and forgive every piece of mind energy that has ever killed anybody in your bloodline. 
That's what you'd have to do. So go for it. Why not? It's like once you realize it's there to be done, what else is there to do? I mean, so you you think money's going to rescue you? You think more of something, more, 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 that's what's going to do it? No, it's not. So what do we choose to do with it? And I appreciate Tom Campbell, NASA quantum physicist, who kind of resonated this whole conversation for me today. Again, if you want to go back and check out, you'll probably his. I, I plan to listen to this more than once again. Uh, he'll probably stimulate some things to you that will help you to create an intersect in your mind where your mind is able to generate higher and higher levels of understanding. So again, if you want to search it out, NASA, NASA quantum physicist, proves we live in a conscious simulation. Tom Campbell, thank you. Appreciate it. And, oh my goodness, it's 20 minutes too, so... Sweetie, we've got about 20 minutes for conversation. Do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? It's all quiet here. And I did put a link to that NASA um, YouTube in the notes for today. Sweet. Awesome. Awesome. So if you're out there in listener land, that had to resonate something for you. Got a call hand up. and tell me what it resonated. Maybe, you say, you, maybe you're going to tell me how crazy I am. Who knows? Okay, let's go ahead for the hand. Okay, I believe it's Doug, 314, you're on the air. Hey, Michael, that was quite... Uh, hey, welcome, sir. Quite a bit of information there. Hi, thank you. Hey, well, you've been around the information long enough that that would probably solidify a whole lot in brain cells for you. <laughs> that was good stuff, yeah. I... <clears throat> I've I've been wanting to kind of, as I've been doing some worksheets, like go into understanding building more brain cells about certain concepts and uh, I just wrote this down as you were talking because I want to understand this dynamic better and go into it more forgiveness cleans up karma based memory and then I wrote but also such rachma I'm not, you know, like some of this, I'm not sure I have it exactly right. But whoa, whoa, so wait, changes wait a minute. Back up a little bit. Tell me okay. once again, you just gave me two ideas. Would you repeat those? Yeah. First one was forgiveness cleans up carbon-based memory. Right. But also sets rachma in the process. That wouldn't be my take. Rachma. Okay. That wouldn't be my take. I, I would wouldn't say would that not. forgiveness sets. I would it, offer would forgiveness okay. does not. Forgiveness does not set rachma. Setting rachma empowers okay. forgiveness. So I put them the other way around. You want to have rachma as you enter into the forgiveness process. If you just do forgiveness without rachma, it's going to be. I would say would be haphazard. You may get rachma kicking in. You may not. Okay. Does that make sense? 
so so well yeah, I, I suppose but but i what i i uh, yes i mean i accept you know, i'm trying to sort this through but but i i'm i'm like okay so how do i achieve how can i possibly achieve forgiveness without getting rock set? Um, I mean, it's like, don't I have to have rock music in order to achieve? It's going to be difficult. No, I, well, remember that I, I can engage in the in the forgiveness process, you know, the, the mechanical process of forgiveness without Rockman being set. Although, if you go to our worksheet, you know, the worksheet, Includes setting Rachma as a precursor to forgiveness, but right. you know the core of forgiveness, the how-to of forgiveness. The, its core is, I look at the goal that's driving my perception, and in order to collapse that construct of my mind, I cancel the goal. I can do that without having Rachma set. Yes, as but I, then I'll say I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Okay, I'm trying to sort this out. So, so you set. I got it. But when you when you when you set when you set Rachma, the reason for this conversation, of course, is for me to try and sort this out better, build this understanding more. And so, so like when when you set the Rachma, as in the worksheet, isn't that what enables you to then change the content? that you've surfaced, you need to hold love present while that content surfaces. If you don't have that, then you aren't effective. Uh, is that, would that be on the mark or not? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go quite that far. I, I wouldn't be that black and white about it. Because, for instance, you know, you've been in an intensive where somebody was in their terror and their trauma and could not bring Rachma present, but there was somebody else in the space holding it for them, and that's what shifted the energy. So fortunately, we're not in this on our own. Okay. So if I don't have that skill, I can still collapse. You know, recognizing that what drives perception is our goals. You know, you notice that, and I'm yes. saying this not for you because I know you already understand this, but for other listeners who might not be that acquainted with this material, that you'll notice that you're never upset unless you're just a generally miserable person as long as everybody in your world is fulfilling all the goals you have for them. You're quite happy with everybody. But notice that the only time there's ever upset pointed at anybody is when they're not fulfilling the goal you have for them. What that, you know, the bottom line of what that means is that goals drive perception. You know, there's that Harvard research, and again, I know you know this, but I'm explaining it so that others who are maybe new to the conversation have more of the foundation pieces. So, this Harvard research was done way back in the 50s, and it's probably, I mean, it still stands, and it's probably the most quoted research in psychological history, says that in a time frame where they can measurable 10,000 units of electrical activity in the brain, the maximum amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits, a little tiny piece of it. Now, that being so, obviously something must determine which nine bits of data my mind uses to build my perception to be the substrate of my current personal reality. And if that's based in some form of hostility or fear, and my nine bits is based in some form of hostility or fear, then I will have a disease process in the tissue that's sourcing that energy. 
And I'll only get to see the very tip of the iceberg. Underneath it is all the drama and trauma that creates the disease and the emotional upset. When I cancel the goal, that whole construct collapses in on itself and at least momentarily gives me access to the underlying energy. If love is present in me or someone else is there holding a space of love for me, then processing happens. And processing, once again, we define as the ability to hold love conscious, active, and present when something less than love comes up. And what happens when we go into processing is that the conscious activity of present love dissolves or transmutes the underlying energy of sin, the underlying energies that are off the mark, whether those are energies that are ours personally or maybe came from an experience 10 generations ago in regard to any particular situation. And so, you know, when people come to an intensive and it's their first time and they have no idea of all of this, how do I hold love prayer? I don't have a clue how that happens. So, gee, you know, there are 50 other people in the room that are holding the space, at least to the degree they can for you. And they're, each person is, is supported in their healing. You know, there's a, for me, there's a really crisp explanation of that in the scriptures where the woman who has the 12-year issue of blood knows that all she needs to do is touch the hem of Yeshua's garment in order to be healed. And touching the hem of his garment doesn't mean touching a piece of cloth. It means entering the field of his active present love. And we can be that hem of the garment for ourselves and for each other. So, yes, I might cancel a goal, and I might have no idea what it is to hold love present. I don't even know that's what I am. But if someone's there holding a space, then I'm going to have an experience, and that experience is going to lead to deepening, deepening, deepening awareness until bingo, I realize, oh, this is who I am. This is what is me. And now I start to live in my own mind, in my own body, in my own perception, whatever quality it is, and I move deeper and deeper into the healing process. Does that help to solidify what you're yeah, wanting to make that, sense that, of? That, that sounds, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me now. So, so I would say that love is essential to forgiveness process, love being present. But it's not necessarily rachma set in the mind of the person doing the forgiveness is not a requirement. But love right. being present in the situation is a requirement. Yes. So, so love, love is. Pardon me. Pardon me. Uh, I, I don't know that I'd make it that absolute. I think that okay. if I were to enter <laughs> into the forgiveness process with no awareness of love, but at least be able to collapse my pained perception perhaps without knowingly bringing love present and would it be the activity of love or wouldn't, I don't know, but I may start to be able to, you know, sort of work through some things and start to get more conscious as love. But if I'm stuck in a world, stuck in a mindset, stuck in a family system, stuck in a community system, stuck in a cultural system of, you know, we just do rage and fear and trauma and terror and blame and it's all everybody else's fault and look what they're doing to us and boy, we better fight against that. If I live in that, then chances are I'm not going to get much recovery from anything I do. But if I'm just okay, so that starting to learn to cancel my goals and collapse my perception, just, you know, if I just leave myself in a quiet space for just 
20 seconds. You know, there's a, a great, when you look at the, the core instruction in the Course in Miracles on forgiveness, what it says is, let go all the things you think you want, your trifling treasure, your goals, put away, cancel your goals, and leave a clean and open space within your mind for Christ to come, for the presence of love to come. That mind of Christ is in each and every one of us. So I think even if we're not cognizant of, I've got to bring love present and I'm going to do all that and I am love, by canceling the goal, I think it, like I wouldn't want to be as solid a statement of it has to be the presence of love, you know, that I bring consciously in some way, but just the fact that I've, left the space that I've collapsed the construct of my mind even for a few seconds that higher mind steps in I think I think there's a there it's at least creating the conditions creating the space for that to happen so so creating okay so so what I'm seeing is all the absolutes probably have to go but but basically the idea here is that if you if you open the space by canceling the goal, shifts can occur. And, and it would seem to me that some level of love, whether it's the nature of the love that's in us, the nature of love that's outside of us, our truth itself is going to be responsible for somehow being involved in that correction. Would that be? Right. Shift, happen. Shift happens. And it's born of... Rachma on some uh, uh, of of Rukitakucha on some level. Yes. Yes. The and higher the direction is coming from Yeah, and the fact that you introduced that might be a new concept for people who are listening. So we'll just fill in the step. If you're doing the forgiveness worksheet process, you. <laughs> Basically, you start out by laying out whatever the trauma is about in step one. Then you acknowledge your willingness to heal and to deal with whatever needs to be processed. You identify the goal that's driving the perceptual construct. You choose in the next step to bring love present. And then once you've brought love present, you cancel the goal and you invite this, what we would call in our modern computer world, super processor that's within every one of us to start to move this energy. In Aramaic, it was called, as Doug just mentioned, Ruka de Kutcha. And by definition, Ruka de Kutcha is a feminine elemental force that undoes the effects of our errors and teaches us the truth. So there's this super processor in us that literally can reach through all time, through all space, through all generations, through all physiology, through all effects, and lift those effects. Very definitely a super processor. And so that's once one's canceled the goal on the worksheet, then the next step is to invite that power, whatever you choose to call it. Is it the higher power, the superconscious, the subconscious, the primordial X, or the, defin- the, or the words that the Greeks used to describe it as the Holy Spirit? But there's nothing there about a disembodied spirit being. It literally is this power. You know, I mean, it's been called in you know in AA circles. It's called the higher power. Am I willing to turn it over? Like, like I don't know how to do this on my own. Am I willing to turn it over? That may be one of the most important steps. Is my willingness to say, I I don't know how to deal with this, but I'm willing to turn it over, and invite that power to go to work. 
Right. So, so in the past, I've, I've, I'm, uh, this is working. I'm, I'm getting more of what I want, which is building deeper layer of brain cells about this. But, but with, with, with it, I, yeah, it's a long way to go. But, but I am, you know, and I, I feel like I've gone a long way. But then I still want to go deeper. And so I'm, I'm. This is where the questions are. And, and when, when I've in the past associated Ruka the kutcha as an element of love or having a relationship or and I'm like curious about how would we express the relationship of Rukka the kutcha with love I, I have I have sort of seen it as an expression of an element of love or a part of God uh, it's the feminine elemental force but but that falls into the category of being associated with God and love to me, but but maybe they're different things. I'm just opening that question. One of my thoughts is it would be good to dig out your Lots of Living book and go looking at the dictionary definitions in the Enlightenment book that's part of the course and start getting deeper into that whole conversation. Okay. So if you remember, there's the book Enlightenment was included with your Laws of Living course. So you might go in and just start and looking that, at the definitions there. Was the book Enlightenment the translated part of the Kaboris manuscript, or yes. is that something different? Yep. Yes. That's it. Okay. No, that's it. And it has those definitions in it. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. So for now, we're not going to try and sort in fact, <laughs> In fact, this might be a perfect space for you to dig that out and start to go through and do the whole laws of living. With, with these questions in your mind, you will reach a whole new pinnacle if you go through and do that material. You know, I look at the fact that for me, you know, I sourced that, co- co- at least co-sourced that course and have taught it at least once, sometimes twice, sometimes three times a year for 40 years. And I'll tell you that the last time I taught it, I mean, I spent hours incorporating new notes and new understandings in my own mind's ability to construct realities that went, oh, that's what that means. Oh, now I see. I didn't have the eyes to see or the ears to hear that before, but now I have the brain cells. With these questions in mind, Doug, that's going to have a whole different meaning to you. All right. I'll try and see if I can dig that out. (laughs) Um. And, you know, you've got a whole set of 90 hours of videos from the codependence intensive. Again, with these questions in mind, go back and start from minute one. I don't, I don't know. You've probably got uh, some personal code evaluations still available. And if you do, all you do is sign into Y again, the letter Y-A-G-I-N.com. Use your username and password and do a personal code evaluation. I'm pretty sure you must. With the number of intensives you've done, you've probably got one there. Send me a text or send Jeannie a text. We'll mark it up and give you some feedback on where your next level of work is. And I would suggest going back and starting with the first hour of those 90 hours of videos in the codependence workshop and go back through them. And you're going to 
you're going to look at it and go, oh, God, I, I never did this before. Where did this come from? <laughs> I promise you. Sure, that's true. I promise you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's true. Okay. Good questions, my friend. Yes, I think we're out of time. Uh, yeah, we are. It's going to come off any another time. All right. All right. Question. All right. Thank Lots you. Of love. Blessings. Okay. Everybody, thanks Bye. for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.